There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone, and I'm Wanda Wallace. Now today we're actually going to talk about getting out of the comfort zone. Most people at some point in their careers need to do something that they're not skilled at doing. Now, that might be networking, it might be promoting yourself, it might be public speaking, it might be working in a different culture, or taking on a role where you don't know as much of the content as you would like to know. Stepping out of that comfort zone is never easy. And we have a bunch of excuses we give ourselves. So, for example, we often usually believe that no one else has any trouble public speaking, for example, and it's just me. And therefore, because I'm not any good at it, it's not my comfort zone and I'm not going to do it. So today, and plus, we have a thousand ways in which we avoid stepping out of our comfort zone. So I want to talk about this process of getting out of your comfort zone. Now, we're going to do this in two ways. One is talking about a global dexterity, that ability to work across cultures, particularly when some of those cultures are not as comfortable as others. And then second, we're going to turn to this whole notion of coping with growth and change in general in effect, reaching outside your comfort zone. With me today is Andy Malinsky. Andy is a professor at Brandeis University in the International School of Business. He's also a joint appointment in the Department of Psychology. And Andy's work is really about helping people gain insights and courage to act outside their personal and cultural comfort zones, especially when these are really important tasks. All right, his research and writing has been featured all over everywhere, Harvard Business Review, Inc. Magazine, Psychology Today, Financial Times, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Boston Globe, NPR, and of course, Voice America. He's a top voice for LinkedIn. His first book, Global Dexterity, in 2013, won a silver award for Best Business Book in International Business and Globalization. And it's been used widely around the world, including at Boeing, AIG, and the U.S. Air Force Academy. His latest book, published in 2017, Reach, is really about broader getting out of the comfort zone. I'm looking forward to this one. I've um, followed a bit of your writing over the years and, you know, really excited to have you as a guest. So the first thing I want to start with and the thing that I remember picking up from you early on is this whole notion about working globally and dealing with different cultures. And I think everybody I deal with in a large corporation today is having a mix of challenges around this. Frequently, a boss is from a different culture and in a different location or a key team member that may report to you or may just be a key resource for you is a completely different culture. And learning to work in those different ways, make it function, is not easy, especially when there's no time to do on it. So what have you found in examining how people get out of their cultural comfort zone? Yeah, it's a great question, and I've spent a lot of time working on this. In fact, my PhD dissertation many, many, many years ago over 20, 
25 maybe, was about Russians in the United States learning to interview for jobs and network when the behaviors that you'd use in, in the United States for these same things were completely inappropriate in the Russian context, like making eye contact and smiling and making small talk about the weather and so on and so forth. I remember one Russian um, person I work with said to me, you know, when you, when, you, when you do this in my country, in other words, making small talk and smiling and saying, oh, how's the weather? She said, when you do this in my country, you look like a fool. So, you know, people feel... Um, uh, in, in adapting across cultures, the, the obvious part is learning the rules, right? And that is challenging, learning when to, um, you know, how you're supposed to act, what the rules of the road are. And I help people do that in terms of trying to figure out what the code is, let's say, for a particular situation in a new culture. But you can't stop there when adapting and adjusting behavior across cultures because the challenge, the real challenge is – translating your knowledge of the code into behavior. In other words, acting in the way that you need to act without feeling like you're losing yourself in the process. In other words, without feeling so inauthentic and so on. So that's the key to try to figure out a way to, I think the title, the, the subtitle of my book, Global Dexterity, is how to adapt your behavior across cultures without losing yourself in the process. That's the key. That's the subtitle and that's the key to the whole thing. Okay, so let's take one I hear all the time cross-culturally, directness. And in various cultures, yeah, being direct. In various cultures, you will be very direct, and to not be direct is weird, strange, unacceptable. Um, Often people say the U.S. is very direct. Some days I wonder about that, especially in comparison (laughs) to, you know, Germany or let's say Holland, for example. So, how, you know, how do you manage that? And you go to other cultures where that kind of directness is flat out rude. Right. And it, it all depends on what you're comparing it to. So um, we, in, in, in psychology terms, we call this high context versus low context cultures. In a high context culture, it means that you need to be able to interpret what someone's saying. You have to be able to kind of read the context and read the subtle cues. And that, would, that, that is what we call more indirect versus a low context culture where you don't need to like read the context. Someone says, says it how it is. And so the highest, the, the, the highest uh, cultures in terms of directness would be the ones that you just mentioned, like the Swiss, the Germans, Scandinavians, North Americans. Um, and then as you go up the chain in terms of more indirectness, you've got, let's say, Japanese and a lot of East Asian cultures. And it can be very challenging when you're switching from one to another. When you're switching from, let's say, the U.S. to Germany. So Germany is more direct in general than the U.S., but it's not so far away like Germany to Japan. But even there, it can be really challenging. I remember I actually interviewed someone from my book, Global Dexterity, an American manager who wanted to change. He was a really successful manager leader, decided he wanted to get some more international experience, and he went to Germany. I interviewed him for the book, and I said, you know, what was the biggest challenge in going to Germany to work? And without skipping a beat, he said it was the directness of feedback. And he said in Germany, he had to give very direct feedback, especially negative feedback. He couldn't do the American feedback sandwich approach where you sort of soften it a bit, right? You stroke someone's ego yeah. a, little bit, a little bit, deliver the message, and then stroke the ego again. In, in, in Germany, there's, there's, if it's a sandwich, there's no bread. There's no stroke of the ego. It's just the yeah. meat, just the direct message. And he felt awful 
doing it. So it is a challenge for sure uh, in terms of directness. There's no question. Yeah. I've heard that I've heard various stories in par- comparison with that one. And mind you, some of my German clients are not terribly good at the directness of feedback, even if they exist in a culture that's pretty good at direct feedback. Um, so what's your advice on how do you deal with this? How do you, you know, like, especially here I am leading a business. We've got stuff to do. We've got things to fix. There's stuff that's not working well. The German office isn't anteing up what I think they need to ante up. And I don't have nine months to wait for them to sort of get the clues. So how am I supposed to deal with that in a way that's going to be effective or the Japanese office for that matter? Yeah, so it's a, it's a complex question, actually, and I know that's not the very best answer. It's always best to say, here's how you do it. But the reality is, is that it's a bit more complex. So you said some of your German clients aren't as, is exactly as direct as, as the German prototype is. But that's true. That's a very true and important statement that, there's, that you've got a cultural norm or typical cultural behavior, let's say. But then there's always variation in the culture around that behavior. So there's going to be some Germans who are super uber direct, and there are going to be some Germans who are sort of normal normally German-style direct, and there are going to be some Germans who actually aren't comfortable with that, and that's the same across any culture. So that's the first thing, to understand where your own personal comfort zone is for yourself. Like maybe you've got actually a pretty wide range. Maybe you're German, but you've got a pretty wide range, right? Maybe you've lived abroad, maybe you're a bit cosmopolitan, and you actually have some degree of cultural flexibility. So there the challenge is just learning what the standard is and applying you know, your behavior to that standard. In other cases, it might be harder for you to apply to that standard. And that's where maybe a cultural coach comes in to try to figure out a way that you can create, I call it like a cultural blend. Like a lot of you have probably been to fusion restaurants and they're very common here in the U.S., especially I live in Boston. So you see like, you know, Japanese Korean fusion or American Swiss fusion. I remember when I was in graduate school in Cambridge, um, I went to Harvard for grad school and there was an incredible Swiss Chinese restaurant I used to go to. The key here is that you can sometimes create your own cultural blend. You can find a way as someone who's German to be direct in the way that you you learn you need to be, whether it's more or less, but to put your own twist on it a little bit and to experiment, right? It's a recipe. You want to experiment to get it right. I mean, sometimes it depends on the situation. I know some in some cases, um, some people have a very difficult time, so difficult, it's so far outside their comfort zone that they have to pass the buck and get a proxy to deliver the message because they know they won't do it in the most effective style. So, I mean, it's a real, it's actually a complicated question in terms of, you know, what to do about it. I think it depends on you, your personality, the context, and the resources that you have at your disposal. Okay. All right. So this whole notion of adapting to the culture, developing dexterity, so that flexibility, What's the secret? So you said one of the things is we have to understand first what the rules are, and then we have to figure out how to translate that into behavior that we can live with it without losing ourselves in the process. Yeah. How do you go about doing that? How Give us some examples on what that looks like. Yeah, so so I actually have figured out a, a recipe or a method for diagnosing the code in a new culture and for finding the gaps between where your comfort zone is and where what I call the zone of appropriateness is in a new culture. And mm-hmm. so, for example, you can take any situation we're talking about, like delivering feedback, participating in a meeting, giving a speech, whatever it might be, giving praise, and you can assess it in terms of these dimensions, directness, enthusiasm, formality, assertiveness 
self-promotion, personal disclosure. And you can, in, in I've, I've, this, is, this is a method I've come up with after a lot of years of study and studying other people's work as well, and also working for a long time with lots of people across cultures. And I've found these are the three it's the six key dimensions that you can sort of describe any situation on. And so the first step is to try to understand where the gaps are. Where's the gap on each of those dimensions? Let's say it's whether it's directness or enthusiasm, formality, whatever it is. Where are the key gaps between your own personal comfort zone? And that, by the way, could come from your culture, but also from your personality or both, right? Um, it, b- between your comfort zone and where, um, and where, where the, the zone of appropriateness in, is in the new culture. And so that's, that's the first task. The second task is to find a way to bridge the gap. Uh, and that's where the flexibility comes in. And I think that I think people, when they're adapting behavior across cultures, are often sort of unaware of the of the the leeway that they often have when adapting. Like there's certain situations in certain cultures where the standard for how you have to act is really narrow. Like if you're participating in a Japanese tea ceremony, let's say, it's super specific what you need to do. In most other situations, there's more leeway. There's more space for you to find that blend we talked about before between sort of being appropriate and doing it and in, in being yourself at the same time. And, when, and so you work on trying to create that that version of the behavior that can work for you once you've understood where the gaps are and where your sort of potential pain points are. And then the final step is is creating a plan to make this new behavior muscle memory in a sense. You know, athletes do that, right? Throwing a ball thousands of times, hitting a tennis stroke thousands of times, kicking that, you know, penalty shot in soccer thousands of times. So it becomes sort of your new normal. And that's the key to trying to figure out a way that you can practice in challenging, sort of increasingly challenging challenging situations. So you're in a stretch zone at each point to develop your skills, but you're not sort of overstretching in, in sort of like what I might call a panic zone where it's so difficult that you're going to kind of revert back to your old behavior. And, and, and that's, that's really the method at, at the core. That's the method I use to help people uh, step outside their cultural comfort zones. Okay. So let me see if I, get, I want to get these exactly right here. So there is a sense of who I am and where I come from, and I may be like my culture, and I may be on one extreme or the other like my culture. So I have to understand me, and I have to understand the person that I'm dealing with who also may be like the cultural norm or not. And then I'm looking for the gap between me and the other person or the other group, and you identified six places we want to look at the gap. So directness, enthusiasm, formality, feedback, praise, and I missed one. Uh, yeah, directness, enthusiasm, formality, assertiveness, self-promotion, and personal disclosure. In other words, what that means is in this particular situation I'm in, how, how much am I expected to reveal about myself sort of personally? And okay. so that, that differs a lot across cultures and by situation. So you kind of, you take a look at that framework, you, 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 under, you learn about, and in often cases it does require learning about it, so that might be with a coach or with a mentor or with a trusted advisor or whatever it is, to understand where the gap is between how you know you need to act, uh, as you just said, in that, in that culture, in that situation, and also with that person. As you, as you mentioned, right. and where your own comfort zone is. Where's, where, where, where's the gap? Where are the challenging points for you? Okay. All right. And then I'm going to figure out what it means to bridge that gap. So I want to read again. I, the six are very important. Directness, how we differ on directness, how we differ on enthusiasm, the show of enthusiasm, how we differ on formality, assertiveness, 
self-promotion and disclosure. Those are six really important components. It strikes me also, we could do that in terms of people and how people differ in that one, independent of culture. Then I'm looking for a way to bridge the gap, something that I can do. And sometimes I have to get it exactly right. The zone of appropriateness is very narrow. And sometimes I got a much wider range of adaptation. And then I got to practice it in effect, build the muscle memory. Yeah, and I'd say sort of before that too is is um, I like to use this this cooking or eating metaphor because I think it's it sort of rings true to the phenomenon to the actual thing we're talking about, but it also also is sim- makes it simple to use. Is that if you're trying to create a recipe yourself, if anyone out there likes to cook, you're probably not going to throw together ingredients and it's going to work just perfectly. You need to find a recipe, you need to taste it, you need to adjust it. It's the same thing when adapting behavior across cultures. You're going to try this, you're going to try that, all within the zone of appropriateness. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to kind of tinker a bit to see if the way that you're acting is simultaneously, you want to be in the zone where it's simultaneously appropriate, sort of slash effective, in other words, that it works in the new culture, but that it also doesn't make you feel like you're losing yourself. That's the key. And that takes a bit of experimentation, even before you get to the muscle memory piece. Okay. So of all the people that you've coached on this one, what's one of the most interesting cases and how did that all play out? How did they make this change? Wow. So, so, um, I, I've, I've worked with so many people and I've observed so many people as well. And, um, I would say that, that instead of just thinking about a particular person, I would say that the situation that I, that I just see time and time again as challenging for, um, foreign born professionals in the U S is, mm-hmm. is, um, networking. I find networking to be um, very challenging for people from many different cultures. Now, the closer the culture is to the U.S., the less the challenge is. So if you're talking like someone from Canada, it's probably not going to be such a challenge. Um, But someone from China or India or, um, you know, Korea – people experience such challenges with networking. Because if you think about it, networking encompasses self-promotion where you're talking about yourself, sort of in in the modern way of speaking, you're branding yourself in a way. And also it encompasses small talk, making small talk with someone that you don't know. Um, And it's very, very challenging for a lot of people to do that, especially if you come from a culture like like India, like China, where it's not that common to make small talk with someone you don't know, especially someone who's more senior to you, especially someone who could be your boss. You're not going to be talking with them about sort of insignificant issues. Issues, and then also pitching and promoting yourself when you come from a more modest culture where you're supposed to be more self-effacing than self-promotional. So instead of thinking about an individual story, I just think of the, you know, I don't know, countless examples of people struggling right. with this. Right. Well, and that also was a very human issue where individuals deviate on this continuum of how comfortable they are with it. So, and I certainly see that. I see my Asian colleagues who live and work in Asia in an Asian culture, pick any one, trying to network either with the UK or with the US, particularly when it's up. And that whole notion of raising your visibility and your profile is absolutely critical for their long-term success and role. And yet it is, first off, it's hard to do because you're never face-to-face. You don't have that natural chance to do much of it. And then it's countercultural. So have you seen anybody successfully figure out how to create a hybrid here, a blend that actually works? 
absolutely. You know, it's in it. It's it's um, it doesn't happen overnight. But what what I find is that so so actually I created I've created a um, an online course that I'm launching in the fall actually, and I also have created an in person live course at my university where I help people step outside their comfort zones and. What what typically happens, the pattern that I see is that is that when people um, first try this, uh, they're afraid to do it. Uh, they're very 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 uncomfortable, and oftentimes the first time doesn't go so well. And I think if they weren't otherwise required to do it as part of a program or a training program or a course, they might very well avoid it. In fact, a lot of people do. But once they actually try it for the second time or third time and start to be more conscious about ways that they might tweak their behavior and create that blend and so on and so forth, something starts to happen and they start to realize oftentimes that, you know what, I, I, I can actually do this. This isn't as hard as I thought it was. Um, you know, I'm better at this than I thought I was. And that then encourages them to try more to work on exactly what we just talked about. And I've seen a lot of success stories where people start to gain their sea legs. And, and actually, I've found examples of people who start to like uh, making small talk, or another example might be participating in a meeting or, or in a university setting if you're a student participating in a classroom. But I've, I've found people who are reticent to speak up in a meeting or in a classroom, and after they've actually gotten over the hump, they start to discover they like it. Yeah. That's encouraging for all the people out there that I know are struggling with how do I do small talk, how do I do self-promotion, how do I learn to speak up in a meeting, and there are lots of them out there. All right, Andy, we're going to take a break. With me today is Andy Malinsky. The book we've been talking about is Global Dexterity, and the subtitle, I'm not going to get this perfectly, but it is How Do You Work Across Culture Without Giving Up Your Soul, in effect. Sorry, I got garbled about the title there. The thing that I find most fascinating about all of this one is the six elements that you need to be aware of, knowing where you stand, where the other person stands, as well as the cultural norms for each of you, because you may be different than those norms. The six elements are directness, enthusiasm, formality, assertiveness, self-promotion, and disclosure. The notion is just recognize the gap, number one. Number two, we we're looking for hybrid, interesting, adaptable ways that you can bridge that gap without losing who you are fundamentally and then do it two, three, four times until you start to realize it isn't the end of the world. I should also say Andy has a lovely website, andymolinsky.com, where there's all sorts of tools, tactics, assessments that will help you do some of this in a better way. When we come back, I want to talk about getting out of the comfort zone in general. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. 
You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. I'm with Andy Malensky, who's a professor at Brandeis University in the International School Business School. Hmm, can't say that. Andy's two books that have just won fabulous awards from top to bottom are Global Dexterity, published in 2013, and the most recent one, Reach, published in 2017. We've been talking about getting out of your cultural comfort zone and beginning to work with people and teams that are not familiar and easy for you to work with, particularly when they require you to do things you don't naturally comfortable do, doing, like self-promoting or public speaking or making eye contact for that matter. And the notion is we have six elements in which you want to assess where the differences are and then you want to find clever ways of adjusting your own behavior to bridge that gap so that it feels a bit like you, but it also goes a bit in the direction of the culture you're trying to attach to. Now, following from that, Andy has gone on to do some work on getting out of your comfort zone in general, and that's what the book Reach is about. So, Andy, I'm fascinated with this whole bigger step outside of the comfort zone. Tell us about what you found in how people avoid getting out of their comfort zone. Yes, and we're very good at it. (laughs) So I I became fascinated by this topic after Global Dexterity. I got such feedback that, you know, that this concept of comfort zones was much broader than just culture. And so I dived into it and I I realized I I struggled outside my comfort zone. I still struggle outside my comfort zone. I started interviewing managers and executives and, and doctors and entrepreneurs and police officers and all sorts of people. Um, to understand why they avoid, how they avoid, what's challenging about it, and what you can do about it. So in terms of your question of avoidance, gosh, there's so many ways, you know, so the, 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 the most obvious way is to, is, to say, is to literally avoid, to say no. Um, you know, and I remember doing that early in my career, uh, asked to give keynote speeches 25 years ago when I was terrified. I didn't know what I could possibly say. I wasn't comfortable speaking. And so I would just say no. Um, and uh, nowadays, hey, I love doing it, and I do it all the time, but back then I'd say no. Sometimes we deliver only part of, 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 of a challenging task and sort of avoid the other parts, so sort of customizing in a dysfunctional way. So delivering only part of the negative feedback you need to deliver, for instance. Um, we also sometimes um, substitute one uh, task for another, choose a task that's, that's, that's easier for us, uh, more comfortable, but probably less effective. So, for example, if you're uncomfortable, if you're a small business owner, you know you need to go out there and network and meet people in your local community to drum up 
business, but you're really uncomfortable doing that, you might say to yourself, you know what, I'm just going to send out a social media blast. I'm just going to post on Facebook, which, by the way, inherently isn't a terrible thing to do. It just isn't a perfect substitute for building those sort of in-person relationships. We might pass the buck. Uh, that's another thing. Of course, procrastination is a, is a key avoidance tech, uh, tactic. And then finally, something we often do is, is, to, is to tell ourselves to rationalize and say, you know what, it's it's not that important that I fill in the blank when, when probably it is to achieve your goals. So, so that that's a range of avoiding yeah. tactics. All right. And I am certain that anybody listening has never done any of those six. So just to repeat, because I think it's a very clever list. Say no. As in, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not any good at it. I'm not going to do it. Two is just do part of it, but really skip the part that you're not so comfortable with. Three is a substitute. Pretend that this other thing is okay instead of the thing you really need to be doing. Four is pass the buck, meaning somebody else can do it, not me, or delegate it. That's another easy one to do. Procrastinate is just not get around to it. And then six is rationalize and say, ah, it doesn't really matter any rate. Um, I've missed the opportunity so bad. I'm too busy to do something else. I think we have dozens of rationalizations. All right, so Andy, what's the anecdote to the avoidance? So, so the antidote to avoidance, that's, that was the big question, right? That's, that's the question that I wanted to orient the book around because avoidance is very compelling, right? When you avoid something, you get relief. <laughs> that's why people avoid, right? You're afraid of that snake, you avoid it, and you're, phew, gosh, you know, I don't have to deal with that snake. But the problem is, is that the next time a snake comes around, it's not going to be any easier to confront. You know, if it's, a, if it's literally a snake, fine, you can avoid it. But if your quote-unquote snake is making small talk or pitching yourself, that's the problem. That's where you need to start approaching instead of avoiding. So what I found in my work, and I, I mentioned all the different folks I spoke with and I work with, I work with a lot of people too. What I found is three key tools uh, tended to distinguish people who were successful from those who were unsuccessful. You've got conviction, you've got customization, and you've got clarity. Those are the three key tools. Should I go through them? Yeah, please. Okay, so customers, I'm sorry, we'll start with actually conviction. So conviction, okay. having a deep sense of purpose in your why. Like, why is this important? Remember, you're going against the grain of your, of your habit, of your personality. So it's, it's almost like giving yourself psychological permission as an antidote to avoidance. It, it's not going to erase your discomfort, but it can give you that motivation, that drive, that sense of purpose, that wind at your back uh, to, to do something despite the discomfort that you experience. And, and that source of conviction can come from many places. It might be professional. It might be, you know, I've, I, I have always wanted to own my own business or, or, or um, you know, I've always wanted to be a manager. It could be, could be something else. It could be that, that, you've, that, that whatever this challenging task is, you know will enable you to help others, and that's really important to you. Maybe you know it will make you feel good about yourself. Maybe you feel it's your calling. Maybe you, you, um, you care about your role as a parent, and you, 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 you're, you're often trying to coax your kids out of their comfort zone in an age-appropriate way, and then you look yourself in the mirror and you say, whoa, wait a second, I'm not doing the same thing. And so to be a good parent, to practice what you preach, that becomes your source of conviction. Wherever it is, wherever you find it, you know, find it, embrace it, use it. It's, it's actually a, a great tool that you have inside of yourself. And so that's the first, that's the first thing, conviction. Conviction. Okay. I often say to people, if you don't believe that this change in your behavior is worth it, we can quit. It's there the same go. thing. 
you have to believe, really deeply, truly believe, whatever gets you there, that this is the right thing to try. Okay? Yeah. That's, that's, that's right. That's right. Um, okay. That's right. So, so the, the, second, the second tool that I found, and I'm glad that that resonates with your experience as well, the second tool is what I call customization. Um, customization is sort of the way I talk about it in my book, Reach, and in my work that I do with folks, is it's almost like, um, it's almost like you're a tailor, like, like a, it's an analogy. Imagine that you buy a pair of pants or a pair of clothing, and it doesn't fit you just perfectly, right? So you bring it to the tailor, and the tailor makes it fit you just right, right? They tweak it here, they tweak it there. That's the same thing that you can actually do with your behavior in these situations. You can find your customization. There are all sorts of ways to do it. Uh, you might, it might be body language. It might be what you, what you say, your literal language. Maybe there are certain words or phrases or, or a little bit of a script that helps you. Maybe, maybe you, there's, there's a way you can stage the context or the situation. So for example, uh, Richard Branson, the CEO of Virgin, he doesn't like to do staged speeches. He feels very awkward and uncomfortable. So he often pushes for Q&A sessions. That's, that's customizing. That's staging the context. Maybe it's a prop. Maybe there's something you wear. Maybe you have a lucky suit. Maybe like me, I actually had a lucky ring. That It wasn't actually a lucky <laughs> ring. It was a ring that meant something to me. And every time I used to give speeches a long time ago when I was very uncomfortable doing it, I would wear that ring. And that ring represented courage to me because actually the, so the story is that, and this is a true story, the stone in the ring is a stone that my great uncle found on the beaches of the South Pacific in World War II, came back, had it made into a ring, and it, it really represented courage to me. And if, gosh, if he could do that, I can give this speech, that kind of thing. So there are all sorts of ways, and, I, and I, I've gotten some great emails and messages from, from readers of Reach uh, about how they've sort of taken this to heart and found ways to customize their situation. But it's a great tool to kind of have a little bit more power over something that otherwise might feel powerless. All right. That makes a lot of sense to me because I know when I am coaching people about doing things that they're particularly uncomfortable with doing – they often will ask me, well, how do I say that? And I often find myself phrasing things for people that they go, right, those are the words. And then they're scribbling down the words. They're getting the structure of how to give the message that gives yeah. them a sense of confidence that they can do it. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like something to latch on to. Like if you're on the side of a mountain and you're trying to climb a mountain and, and when you give them that word, that, those words, it's like finding that that bit of the of the of the climb that you can like latch onto and feel secure as as you kind of move on. Okay. All right. So those can be changes structurally as in let's do a Q&A session or a panel discussion rather than me talking for 45 minutes or let's do um, let me give some structure to how I'm going to do the conversation or down to let me wear a suit or a ring or a shoes or whatever it is that reminds me of courage that I can do it. Could also be timing. Maybe you play okay. with timing a little bit. So if you're uncomfortable at loud, noisy, intimidating networking events, go early. It's going to be less loud. It's going to be less noisy and it's going to be less intimidating. Right. right. So that's another way. So there are all, all sorts right. of ways that you have, that you have a bit more control than you think. Okay. One of the people that I interviewed on the show about uh, networking says, look, you just work your way into it. And as another version of customization, her view is if you're really uncomfortable going to a networking event, 
go for 15 minutes with a goal of meeting three people. Yeah. And when you've met three people and you've done your 15 minutes, leave. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> Next exactly. time, do 20 minutes. <laughs> Meet or, five people. Or, or tell yourself, you know what? Um, networking events aren't where I'm going to have those in-depth, meaningful conversations. If I can just meet one person and maybe arrange a coffee for another time, Mm -hmm. that's really where I'm going to be in my comfort zone. That's where I'm really going to be able to build a meaningful connection. So maybe it's understanding that and using a networking event for something other than having the conversation more to kind of um, to, to meet people in order to have conversations in in more conducive places. Right. So there are all sorts of ways you can do it. Okay, fair enough. And we also know that's the best networking. All right, so conviction, I have to really believe it's worth it, whatever the source is that drives me to believe that, whatever that's about. I have to find a way to tailor it to me. Whatever tricks, mental tricks, are going to make this more palatable me for me, more doable for me, more structured for me. And then the third tool is clarity. What's that one about? Yeah, clarity is, is, is quite simply um, trying to level, find a way to level out your emotional reaction to being outside your comfort zone. So oftentimes when we're outside our comfort zones, we get, we let our emotions, our negative emotions get the best of us. We catastrophize, we think of the worst possible case. And then we might even assign on sublevel, uh, not probably not literally, but in our minds, assign some super high probability of that really bad thing happening. So, for example, you're giving a speech. You might say to yourself, you know, I'm going to this is going to be terrible. This is going to be awful. I'm going to faint on stage. I'm going to make a fool of myself. I'm therefore not doing it because maybe you'd also say to yourself, maybe because I'm only doing this unless I'm the best TED talker in the world or some, some very extreme thinking. And it's almost like I always think about it in terms of, as you can tell, I think in terms of analogies a lot. I think of it in terms of like a boat on stormy seas. And when the storm, the stormy seas, in a sense, represent our emotional reactions, sort of wild emotional reactions to things outside our comfort zones. Can you find a way to, to, to have an anchor on that boat, go down and steady the ship. So in a sense, saying to yourself, you know what? Probably not going to faint on stage. I probably won't make a total fool out of myself. I'm probably not going to also be the best TED talker in the world right away. But you know what? I'll probably learn a lot. I'll probably make some mistakes, but I might have some good moments. And the next time around, I'll bet I'll be even better. So some version of an even-handed, clear approach, having that sort of stepping back, perspective-taking ability, that was the sort of the third key tool that I saw distinguish people who were successful. Okay. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'm a big fan of um, Maury Seligman's work among others, but you know, we all, this has been around for a long, long, long time, ways to stop the catastrophic thinking. So yeah. one is recognizing that you're doing that catastrophic thinking and then to go into some justification, like how bad is this really going to be? Or, you know, what are the alternatives to, I'm going to faint on stage. I might feel a little queasy. Okay, big deal. I can handle that. And just to work yourself through that in a more rational way rather than just a pure emotional way. Okay. Exactly. That's a good way of putting it. Conviction, customization, and clarity. And that's what you found people who do the best getting out of their comfort zone are really good at doing. Just practice those three over and over and over and over again. What I found is exactly that. And what's key about those, and I just want to make one more point here because I think it's important, which is that 
they're not like magic, but what they do, these types of tools, what they do is they nudge you to actually try something, right? So imagine if door A is, uh, I'm going to avoid, I'm going to use one of those tactics we talked about earlier. And door B is, "Mm, I think I actually am going to take the leap. What these tools do is they nudge you to door B. They nudge you to actually try something, to avoid avoidance. And the reason that that's important is that when you actually try something and you don't avoid, you can benefit from learning. You can benefit from self-learning. And what you learn oftentimes is that you learn that whatever it was wasn't as bad as you thought it would be. And you learn that you're, you're probably a little bit more capable than you thought you were. And, and when, you can, when you can have those experiences, those are really important experiences because they often will nudge you to try it again. And that will get you out of that avoidance spiral we talked about before and put you in a more virtuous, positive spiral where you're trying, you're building your self-efficacy, you're building those muscles. And over time, that's where you're going to really thrive. And so that's why these tactics are important. They're not sort of tricks. They're not magic bullets. But what they do is they're helpful nudges to getting you to actually try something and hopefully do it in a way that achieves some degree of success. Okay. I can see that. And I do see, like, I watch this all the time. I see see very senior executives come to a meeting room or to a conference or to um, a big presentation. And I watch them that 30 seconds before they go on stage. And an incredible number of them are actually quite nervous. And then they don't stop there. They just go and do it. And they know they have to go and do it. And then once you get into it and you do it, it becomes more natural. It becomes easier. And they're kind of in the flow and they're getting a good reaction from the audience. But it's, you know, some of that just is, it's there and you just have to move past it, I guess, is the easiest way to say it. I'm simplifying it way too much, Andy. No, that's, that's, that's right. I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, it's, it's approach or avoid. <laughs> and you want to approach. And you ideally want to approach by stacking the deck in your favor so that you're going to have some small wins. So that it's, it's not going to be a wildly successful attempt necessarily, but it's going to be more positive than negative. And it's going to, see, it's going to kind of push you to approach again instead of avoid. And that's the key because if you can get into that, then that's where you're going to start to build those muscles. Okay. All right. It reminds me of a guest a couple of weeks ago who said, um, look, if you're one of those people that just compares yourself to the best TED Talk ever, at least get a good comparison set. So don't set yourself up to fail comparing to the best TED Talk ever in the world. Set yourself up to compare to somebody who's done their first TED Talk and do at least as well as they did in the first TED Talk. And that kind of changing your comparative set also can help nudge you in the right direction. Yeah, so a reasonable comparison or a reasonable standard for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. All right, we're going to take a break again. Uh, With me today is Andy Malinsky. Andy has lots of tools and tactics and self-assessments on his website, andymalinsky.com. And the book we've been talking about is Reach. So it's not just out of the global comfort zone, out of the cultural comfort zone. It's really how do you push yourself beyond doing what is easy and natural and that thing you're actually afraid of doing and therefore avoid doing. And the keys to doing this are conviction, customization, and clarity. And we'll be right back.
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Andy Malensky. Andy is a professor at Brandeis University in the International Business School, um, also a joint appointment in the Department of Psychology. Two books, one global dexterity that has won awards all over everywhere as being an, an international business and globalization bestseller. And the last most recent one is Reach, which is really about how do you get your push yourself outside that comfort zone and move on to do the things that you know you need to do. Andy, and studying people and interviewing people who do excel at pushing themselves outside the comfort zone finds that they do three things particularly well. One is conviction, that you have to convince yourself that you this is really worth it. Whatever the reason is, I promised my kids, my mentor told me I had to, I really want that opportunity. Whatever gives you conviction. Second is customization, adapting it in little ways, structures, changing the context, um, wearing something that brings a symbol of courage to you, um, anything you can latch onto, doing it for short periods of time, timing the time when you do it, any customization that gets you a tiny bit more comfortable. And the third one is clarity, which is really about leveling out the emotional responses you have. And it's not all that different when you think about it from a cultural point of view. It's some of the same thing, but start with understanding where the gaps are from a cultural understanding. Now, Andy, I, I want to talk about the roadblocks we all experience. So let's say I've done these things and I've kind of tried to psych myself up to get out of my comfort zone and say, go do a public speaking event that I'm just not that good for. What have you found are the kind of psychological barriers that get in the way? Yeah, sure. So, so this is, um, this, this, this I find is actually when I go into companies, one of the most interesting parts of it where people can start to self-assess like where their own pain points are. So I found five. Um, and, and, and as you're listening, I'll, you know, I, 
I'd be interested in hearing if, if anyone calls in about what, what their own pain points are. So the first is authenticity. The idea that, you know, this isn't me, this doesn't feel like me. So I don't know, per- pretending to actually, I spoke with a lot of young entrepreneurs, um, pretending to, to put on their grown up voice when pitching to venture capitalists, like, you know, these are young people came up with a product and now they have to try to get money for it. Um, and, and they're, they're not, they're way outside their comfort zone. They feel completely inauthentic in this role of trying to pitch themselves and their business. Right. So, so that's authenticity. I hear that all the time. Um, and I often say, especially working with women, they feel like this isn't me. It isn't natural. It isn't my style. And to which I say, then find a way to do it within your style. But the do it, you still have to do. Exactly. We're on the same wavelength, I think, on this. Um, okay. so, right. so, so authenticity. A second one is, is interesting. It's, it's what I call likability. It's the mm-hmm. idea that a lot of people worry if they're, when stepping outside their comfort zone that people won't like this version of them. You know, if, mm-hmm. I, if I'm assertive, if I know on some level I need to learn to be more assertive – but I'm afraid that people will hate this assertive version of me, right? Mm-hmm. And that becomes a real roadblock when trying to step outside your comfort zone. So that's a second challenge, um, likability. Remember, right. you're I going see... against the grain of who you are. Yeah, yeah. I hear this all the time from people. It's, yeah, my team won't respond well to that. No, my boss isn't going to like me pushing back on that one. Yeah, exactly. Okay, all right, exactly. fair enough. So, so that... authenticity, it... likability. Competence. I'm afraid, uh-huh. and we've sort of hit on this before, but here I'm, af- I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to do this well. Um, and, and by the way, there's a public and a private side to this. I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to do this well, and that people will see, and it's going to be obvious. Yeah. People will see that I don't do this well, and that already there are two more we can talk about. But already, that's a vicious cocktail of psychological roadblocks, right? You've got authenticity, competence, likability, right? That's a tough nut to crack there if you're feeling those things. That, those types, that's why people avoid. Right, right. I get that one. You know, it's interesting. You chose three words there, authenticity, likability, and competence. And I'm a big fan of Will Schutz's work and the things that create defensiveness in all of us. And when we feel incompetent, not sufficiently liked, or insignificant are the three places that defensive reactions rise. You know, we all get kind of at our worst behavior there. And we're not talking about defensiveness here, but in ways we're talking about the blocks that keep us from doing what we want to do. And your three are very much like Schutz's three. Oh, that's good to know. That I'm not familiar with that work, but that's 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 great. That's great. Um, uh, I can mention the other two because these did yep. come up as well. Um, the the fourth is resentment. Mm-hmm. The idea that, yes, I see and I, I see that what I need to do in this situation to be effective, but but deep down, uh, or you could say logically, I know what I need to do, but psychologically, I feel resentful I have to do it. Uh, for example, mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how many um, uh, people who are uh, introverts or self-described yeah. introverts in corporate America, who, um, let's say young professionals who get very frustrated and resentful about the fact that um, in order to get ahead, it seems that they need to make small talk with people, especially their bosses. And they see, like, for example, their colleague uh, at their age, their level, who is not maybe as effective and talented as they are, 
they're the ones getting the assignments because they're able to make small talk about last night's ball game or last night's TV show or whatever it is. And, and, and is, is the person who really struggles to do that and where it's very much outside their comfort zone, they can feel resentful that they have to do it in the first yeah. place. I see that a lot among the women that I work with. They're resentful that they have to change in any way to accommodate the dominant culture. Mm. So you get the same, very same kind of thing. I'm not going to make a who's right or wrong on that one. I'm just going to say I recognize the resentment. Okay, so so we've got authenticity. It's not me. Likeability. People won't like this version of me. A fear of incompetence. I'm not good at this, and it's going to see it. People are going to know now I'm not really good at it. I resent having to do it in the first place. Why should I have to change or do something different? And what's the fifth? The fifth one is one that didn't pop up as much, but it popped up enough that I included it, and that was what I called morality. It's the idea that when stepping outside my comfort zone in the situation, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Uh, I actually opened my book, Reach, with a story, or a true story, of a young woman who uh, started a business as an entrepreneur and very soon after had to fire her best friend from that business. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she felt inauthentic. She worried about likability for obvious reasons. She felt incompetent as the leader, the new leader who had to do this. And she felt a deep sense of immorality in a sense. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we could argue about the philosophical merits of that feeling of morality, it's, but, it, but what's important is that it's a subjective feeling of morality. It's what she felt. And so that can be an impediment to stepping outside your comfort zone as well. Okay, I can see that. Authenticity. So the, it's the ceiling. It's not authentic. I'm not going to be liked. I'm not going to be competent. I resent having to do it, and this doesn't feel morally right. Yeah. Okay, so Andy, we got about two minutes here. What do people do to move through these psychological barriers? It's what we talked about before. Well, first of all, noticing them, by the way. I think that noticing them and naming them, and I hope that my book and my work offers simply, quite simply, like a language to talk about these things and name them. Because I think once you can start to do that, you start to have a bit more control. And then it's applying what we talked about before, the conviction, the customization, and the clarity. So so, so, so that, that, that ultimately is the key. And when I work with people, I help them understand and name what's, what's, what's eating at them. Because often people, oftentimes people don't quite get what, why it's hard for them. And once they can do it, that, that starts to give them a bit more clarity as well. So, right. Andy, it strikes me as incredibly powerful, this whole notion of the research and the interviews that you've done around people getting outside their comfort zone, what the best to do on that one to help you move through it, and how to move through some of the more challenging blocks that you get along the way. We've said it several times, but I just want to come back to reiterate. It's conviction, believing that doing this is really worthwhile. Two is customizing, finding a way to adapt it to me and something I can do and I can say. And then three is the clarity, trying to manage the emotional reaction. And then I'm going to add a fourth one, which you didn't add, which is learning how to both identify and cope with some of the more psychological barriers that come up when you are trying to reach outside your comfort zone. My guest today, Andy Malinsky, the website, andymalinsky.com. Highly recommended, all sorts of tools and tactics and assessments that will help you. Andy, thanks for being a guest on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. It's my pleasure. Join us next week. Mitch Dithkoff is going to be talking about how to use the power of stories to drive change. Join us next week. (laughs) 
Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.